0: Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm
1: Drew Evans.
0: Well, Drew, it's been a little over a week since we finally had a mock trial tournament to talk about. <laughs> uh, for the first time in a couple of months, it, it feels pretty good. We, of course, uh, had a Trial by Combat, the 2020 version, where uh, Sonali Mehta of Duke University uh, was crowned the 2020 Trial by Combat champion. Uh, It was a really, really great tournament and it it just felt good to have some mock trial to talk about again and some mock trial to watch and and things like that. Drew, did you get a chance to take in any, I mean, I guess nothing except for the final round was live stream, but I assume you were kind of tracking things along the way.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that it's funny. The, the old, the old me back from before I knew that you could view tab results uh, came out and was looking at each of the parents and saying, okay, well, I kind of think this person would have done this well. So I I expect that this is a high, high round. And this is probably a low round, like trying to, you know, game it all out. Uh, So I had a lot of fun doing that. And I had a number of friends who were competing um, that weekend. So getting to kind of hear from them how they were thinking and how they were feeling and how they were doing was a lot of fun. Um, Obviously, Ben, you had a a slightly more uh, hands-on experience with trial by combat. Um, you didn't mention it because you're always too humble, but Sydney and Sydney's team, by extension, you got second place runners up in a very close, very heated um, final round. So it was a ton of fun. Um, and uh, I think that as a, someone that got to observe the round, I will say that I, I thought it was just an amazing, amazing round to watch. I, I kind of had developed my opinions on how I thought online mock trial should look and I think that Sydney and Sonali set a very high but set the bar for what it should look like and i think that a lot of people got that hopefully got the same experience i did which was when watching it okay this can work this is what it should look like from now on and yeah there's the occasional technological hiccup here or there or internet cutting out or whatnot but on the whole it really works and i think that for that reason i I really enjoyed it i i I think that it brought that mock trial love back to me and I was—I really felt like I was in it and I was enjoying uh, getting to watch such a phenomenal round. Um, so Ben, obviously, as I said before, you lived it, you were there, uh, and I want to go back to you and hear your thoughts on the whole weekend of the final round. But I actually really specifically want to ask you also about a decision that that Sydney made. And I assume by extension that the team did. Um, So as many people know, when you are one of the final round members, the person with the higher record going into that round or the higher placement um, gets to choose either which side they're going to go on or whether or not they're going to call uh, the extra witness. And, I think that there are certainly arguments for both sides. You guys decided to uh, to choose the side that you were going to run. You chose the defense. And at least from my perspective, I was kind of expecting Sydney to choose the witness because getting the extra cross seems like it would lead to Sydney's strengths. I mean, Sydney is probably one of the best well-known um, crossers in the country. You know, So I'm, I'm curious. What was the rationale behind that? And then just generally, how, how did the weekend – how did you feel about it?
0: Yeah, it was – it was an experience. Um, it was it was pretty crazy from start to finish. Um, we're uh, going to get a chance to talk to Sonali and Seva and Eric in our second segment in, in a little while. And I'm looking forward to hearing sort of their thoughts. It's, it's kind of funny knowing, like, right, they were on the other end of the final round. <laughs> um, but it was... It was a challenging weekend in a lot of ways. I'll say this first, because I, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast that I do kind of try to specifically avoid talking too much about my own program and my own students, because I think like the whole point of this podcast is to serve sort of the greater community. Uh, But I will brag on Sydney for a moment here and just say that she and and Ethan Hudson, her second chair, uh, just had a spectacular weekend. She was, Sydney was the number one advocate coming out of the preliminary rounds was the number one advocate going into the final round. And while, uh, Justin and, and those who are involved, keep the ultimate margin of the final rounds private. Um, it was very close. I'll, I'll put it that way. Cause they, they sent it to, uh, the final round competitors and coaches. And it was a very close round. Uh, Sonali is a well-deserving winner. She was spectacular, uh, which was evidenced by the fact that she won three of, uh, the seven categories, the awards that Justin gave out for those categories. Um, and I was just you know, I, I I think we talked about this with Sonali in uh or my, it was either her or Regina in our last episode about how you do I think it was with Regina when um talking about the the closings at GCF between Regina and Sydney and those moments of just being able to sit back and be like, This is fun. Right? And I this may come as no surprise to anyone to know there were not a ton of those moments over this weekend where I was like, Oh, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> but there were moments in the final round, as stressed as I was, where I was just like, wow, this is really cool. You know, this is a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, I have some other thoughts about online mock trial and stuff like that. We can get to that. But to, to answer your direct question, uh, it's actually a pretty simple answer, right? So we had gone defense in round four against uh, Elias from Emory and then in the semifinals uh, against Brigo Child from Minnesota. Uh, and we hadn't gone as the government since the previous morning, which I mean, it's about 30 ish hours, which in T V C time is a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I remembered what our theme was like in that particular <laughs> moment. Uh, and so once we found out that, you know, we were the um, team that got to make the decision, but we had already decided this beforehand. We ultimately said, if we get that choice, let's just stick with what got us here. You know, um, I think the two crosses thing, it definitely crossed my mind. It definitely was sort of a thing that we talked about. And like, hey, the previous two years, this has been like the the winner has been the person with the two crosses. But just like this this year, the previous two years have been unbelievably close rounds. Uh, And I can't imagine now three times. I know it's happened now three times in a row. (laughs) I still don't think that's a sample size that's big enough to... Uh, sort of make that your ultimate conclusion so we just felt comfortable on defense. Uh, we felt like we liked our demonstratives we felt like we liked our theory we felt like um you know we would probably end up in the situation we did where uh, sonali made the decision to add the defendant to our side and we felt good about that so it was a tough decision and you're making all of these decisions. I mean, for those who are watching the live stream and you're making them in this in seconds and you've talked about them beforehand, but you're making them in just a couple of seconds, things like that. So bottom line for me, just couldn't be more proud of Sydney and Ethan who are just spectacular. You know, Sydney was the only non-senior in the field and to come very, very close to winning it. uh, You know, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully if they'll have us back in 2021 to, you know, take our third and final shot at it. So it was it was a lot of fun. It was a privilege to be a part of, and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes from here.
1: And I, I think that Ben, you you mentioned this earlier, but it, it was just it was so nice to do mock trial again. Like I think mm-hmm. that it's it is funny, but uh, mock trial when when we feel like so dissatisfied when Orcs gets canceled, when Nationals gets canceled, and I mean you know the the season has officially ended right? I mean, there is nothing else happening. And to finally get uh, some more of that, just the blood running, feels good. I mean, it's, it's nice to have something to talk about. Um, I, I thought that it was just, it was so much fun to watch and be a part of, in, in even some small way. And um, I, I think that one thing we didn't even talk about, really, the well, back when we talked with Abby Heller, there were so many judges. And I think that it was so cool to to see that this was such a a well-known, is the way I'm going to phrase it, judging pool. I feel like I, I mean, I knew a lot of people that were judging, but also, I mean, if you look at that final round, what a, a final round judging panel. I mean, that's yeah. just a, a fun group. I mean, we've had a couple of them on the podcast, but I mean, Ian Lampert is always a fun person to hear. Um, but it's I mean, it's just a fun, fun group. And it's, you kind of know that when you're getting, feedback from from such a well-decorated group it's it's always a lot of fun
0: yeah that, that just real quick on that judging thing i couldn't agree with you more i uh so one of the things that was really cool in one of the rounds i think it's round four um of course you can see when you get in the room you know and by that point you're not communicating with with the advocate anymore but i can see who the judges are and you know you see like our first round was uh, our presider was Jess Falkenstein, who was phil pascarello's mm-hmm. second chair when he won tbc our fourth round, our presider was Jacob Morse, who is a TV or I, not TV top, top gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah right. When she Phil one top gun and then he's a, a top gun champion, Jacob Morse is. Um, and uh, so in round four, I am, I'm looking at the judges as the round has started. And I see one of them is AJ Bolita de Luna, who was my law school coach. Um, wow. And it went out. I was at Maryland and is now running the program at St. Mary's in Texas. And, um, And so of course, like I didn't communicate with him during the round, obviously, but once the round ended, uh, and he knew he and I had spoken in the, in the weeks leading up to this, I had sort of picked his brain on a few things, but, uh, I texted him and I was like, Hey, like you just got to watch my student. and like, that was really cool. Like that I attribute so much of what I teach to what I learned from him and, and my other coaches like Jerry Deese and, and people like that. And so to, then turn around and have him judging my advocate at trial by combat. Um, and then to, you know, there are other, I mean, just how many incredible, uh, people, there's so many decorated AMTA people that I saw, you know, that we were judged by both this past year's top gun champion Mm -hmm. and top gun runner up. Um, uh, I think Phil was the presider in one of our witness trials, Phil Pasquarella, you know, top gun champion. So I, you know, Abby previewed this and Justin kind of mentioned this on some of the uh, calls that we did as a TBC group beforehand. Um, But that is one of the absolute silver linings of doing virtual mock trial is you just get this unbelievable judging pool Mm -hmm. that would be completely impossible uh, in a normal format.
1: No, it's true. Uh, I I think that, you know, I kind of mentioned that the this is nice to get the trial blood flowing again, but luckily there is something else coming before we get uh, the the new case, and that is the the one last time tournament. And uh, I hope that anyone that is hearing this, this is not new news to them. But the one last time tournament is basically exclusively for seniors, um, and basically seniors that you know had their season cut short or seasons already over. Um, you know they have this opportunity to compete in this final online tournament um called the one last time tournament and there have been a couple of case teasers um the case hasn't been released just yet but i know that that is something coming up and something i'm i'm looking forward to hearing more about and to uh hopefully getting to to watch some some aspect of it uh i'm not i don't i I could be wrong here but i don't think they've exactly released how the uh the tournament exactly is going to work i would assume it's going to be kind of a regular imitational style, uh, but Ben, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I think that it's it's just a cool thing for AMSA to be doing. Um, I know that I've noticed online there's been some feedback of like, oh, like, don't do this, like, we don't, you know, I don't know. I don't really know why people would be saying that. I, I think that if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But um, I think that Trial by Combat may have reignited a lot of, of you know, feelings for people that had their season end early that I think it's nice to, to give people this opportunity. And it's, it's really cool to get to do it with people maybe outside of your program. One of the nice things about this tournament is that you're kind of building your own team. So you get to work with people that maybe you, uh, you've gone against and, you know, developed relationships with. And I think that that's a really cool, fun aspect of this that I think should be a nice way to kind of bring this senior class uh, or, you know, graduating class together in some way.
0: Yeah. So I'll, on that last point, I think that's the thing that, I find most interesting about this idea is the notion of being able to compete with people who aren't in your program. Um, I will be candid that I was not overly enthusiastic about this idea when I first heard about it. Um, I still I like, I don't, I, I've never thought there's anything wrong with it. I think it's completely fine. Um, I don't, you know, feel super, excited about it to be completely honest with you um i think it's something that is valuable for amta to be doing uh, i just hope that as they're doing it that they're using it also to like test out some things you want people to get an authentic experience but test out some things to be prepared for what i think is a pretty likely possibility that a good portion of this coming season is going to be virtual uh, but i like that they're thinking about trying to uh you know trying to do the best they can to give some people who maybe lost out on that chance like i know there's priority registration for uh teams who uh didn't finish their orcs or teams who got an nct bid and and, you Mm -hmm. know didn't get to use it and stuff like that so i i I like the idea behind it I, i i'm sure like i don't know if they'll recruit judges from the community i'd be you know happy to judge some rounds and i'm sure i'll sort of pay attention to it uh I I doubt it's the type of thing that will stick around post pandemic kind of feels yeah. like a, you know, like a solo thing that they're doing because of the unique, unique circumstances this year. Um, but yeah, it'll be an interesting thing to sort of keep track of.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that, Ben. I don't think this is going to become a new like thing that they do. Although I think it would be kind of interesting, um, particularly if it was in person to kind of have, you know, you kind of build your own team. I think that I definitely have spoken to people before about that being kind of an interesting tournament style. Um, I, I agree with you though. I don't think that this is necessarily going to be a new norm, but I think it's a nice thing to do and uh, Look, you know, I don't think everyone has to be over-the-moon passionate about it just to still acknowledge that it is a net positive um, and that there are good elements to it. So I just pulled it up on the AMP website, and I want to just read really, really quickly what the case summary is. I summary, it's really a, a single line they have, but it states that the world-famous mystery author Agatha Lee has died, leaving her $20 million estate to her caretaker Drew Mars. Lee's disinherited grandchild Stevie Rogers is suing to have the will set aside, claiming Mars murdered murdered Lee. So that is the the very brief synopsis of what this case is going to be about. I assume that we are going to uh, get some more information soon. The registration will be closing on July 10th. Um, We're currently recording this on the 8th, so it's probably going to get up sometime after that, so it'll probably already be closed. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what what the teams look like and and if any of the the uh trials are going to be live streamed in any way. Um what it exactly looks like. So I'm I definitely think it's just something on the docket to be looking forward to in the coming weeks and months.
0: Yeah, and and one quick thought about like there there's not a whole lot to dwell on as it relates to the end of the empty season, right? This is the first episode uh I think that we've recorded since uh AMTA officially announce like to the public that uh, they're not going to attempt to finish the 2020 season I think everyone had kind of started assuming that um, at a certain point but you know that they, they Brandon in a statement made it official here's my only thought on that um, so you know they sent a survey out I think we mentioned it in a previous episode kind of gathering uh, information about like oh what, what do teams want to do what can they do stuff like that uh, and in in Brandon's statement, Brandon Harper, the new AMTA president's statement, he re- he references that um, survey. Number one, they should just release the results. They should release the results of every survey they take, always, because it's just common sense. But number two, you know that survey was sent to us as a team that qualified for NCT, and I think the thing, the only thing that made me a tiny bit frustrated was right, like everyone agrees that online mock trial is inferior to in person mock trial, and. But I I also think I operate from the assumption that it would have been better for AMTA to try, like the the ideal circumstances to finish the season. Even if you finish the season in a weird way that isn't the same, the ideal circumstances to finish the season. And that survey, it didn't really make any attempt, in my opinion, to make this sound like it was going to be good at all. Right, and it's not like it. It was like, oh, we think online online mock trial is gonna suck, but do you want to do it anyways? It was just kind of like, do you want to do this? It didn't talk about how it would work. It didn't talk about how like we think we could make this work. We know it's not the same, but we'd love to finish the season if we can. It was just kind of like, eh, tell us what you think. And I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed by that. That being said, like I'm not making that criticism to say that anyone was acting in bad faith or anything like that. I think in fact everyone made the only possible decisions that they could have made under the circumstances in hindsight, you know, maybe it would have made more sense to immediately try to go to online instead of postponing, but nobody, nobody was able to make, you know, we did a whole episode with Devin Holstad where we're like, Oh, we hope we're still able to finish the season. And you know, two or three months later, that looks pretty stupid, but at the time we were all figuring this out. So I, I get where I'm just coming from. I get why they made that decision. I was just a little unimpressed with the survey and the, in my opinion, sort of the lack of effort to say, hey, we we think we could actually finish the season. We think like if we put our combined brain power together as an organization, we could make that work. But I, I get why it ended up the way we did, and and I'm looking forward to kind of tackling this upcoming season.
1: Yeah, I think that that's that's a good view to have on it for sure, Ben. I want to echo what you said about the survey. Like, I uh, I just will never. I, I don't really get why. You wouldn't release the results like unless there was like something you like unless you were going against what the results were. But I mean like you can give an explanation of like, hey, like we get that people want to do this, but it's just not really feasible. I just I agree with what you said. Like if you're doing it, just send them out. But on top of that, I think that i I will say from my personal perspective, I think there's something to be said about kind of moving on and just saying, look, you know, the world is in such a place where it's just not not tenable, not viable to finish the season in a traditional way you know we're doing this one last time tournament as as some way for seniors to to at least do mock trial again we're not pretending that it's the same thing as nationals but it's at least something um but i I think that you know there is certainly a logic to it i will also say that in general i think that this season is just going to be one that will not be soon forgotten um mm-hmm. I think that this is just the climate that we 're in you know this is just a tumultuous time. I think that uh it's really interesting my I was talking to someone the other day, and they talked about how there are these really you know impactful years and moments um when people are growing up that define you know that that generation or that that uh you know that growing up at that time um you know whether it 's nine eleven or it's it's covid i mean there these are these just big globally affecting or at least you know us affecting events that really change our outlook on a lot of things and i think that at least in the world of mock trial i hope that it at least gives us an appreciation of how cool it is For us all to be able to come together, hopefully in future years for nationals and to appreciate what a special opportunity that is for everyone around the country to be able to come in and, you know, if you've qualified, get to go and compete at this one big tournament together. And I know that in the past, there are these suggestions of, oh, we could do two different national sites, one in one place, one in another, and they're separate divisions. Uh, Like... If anything, this has convinced me that no, like what makes it so special is bringing all of these great teams together, bringing all these people, getting to to interact with people that are on the West Coast or in the South or up in the Northeast, whatever. That is That is what makes it so special. And that's what was missing for so many of us when the season ended early, I think. So that's what I'm trying to take away from this. And I hope that you know we can all just have an a appreciation for those of us that have competed at that level in the past and had that experience and hopefully that we can have that experience again for people in the future
0: yeah that's a great point it's it's you know i i definitely felt that but you said it out loud and and i think what was a sort of exactly right like i i i love traveling to tournaments it's like i'm on the road constantly i think i was on the road like 12 or 13 weekends last year and it is you know i love it it's it's just just the nature of this activity and i've met so many of my closest friends uh you know at various levels doing this activity and i cannot wait um you know i was trading text messages with someone after tbc and uh you know they said yeah like it, it was great justin and abby did a fantastic job but it's not the same Mm-mm. um you know i where was it was it um cubate that you and i uh at Haber, sat at the bar Haber, Haber was, it, was it black scroll
1: well it no, no it was regionals regionals too
0: was it, the other one? Yeah, yeah 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 that's what i'm thinking of so so like you know and and i there are plenty of other coaches that you know i i like to sit and and just you know get a beer with and catch up and uh i can't wait to be able to do that again but Last thing I'll say on this, like I don't want anyone to confuse nostalgia for like like wear your damn masks, yeah, um seriously like we we generally try to avoid like like significant cursing on the show, but wear your effing masks. Mm-hmm. um like take this seriously, right? I know a fair amount of our listeners are our, our current competitors. um, you have to take this seriously. Stop getting on airplanes like stop like I look i this has upended so many people's worlds it's upended literally the entire world, and I get how frustrating and how disheartening it can be sometimes, but like we as a community as a community dedicated to justice and equality for everyone I mean obviously that is a whole separate discussion in many ways and something that we actually are hoping to tackle on this podcast in the future, but like just when it strictly covers covid like We've got to do our part as a community to keep each other safe so that eventually, whether it's 2021 or 2022 or mm-hmm. whenever, when we all do get to get, be in the same room again, we're all there. Exactly. Right. That we're, exactly. we all make it. And like that this, so yeah, I like, I, it was wonderful to get to do TBC this past weekend and to sort of get to be in that community again. And I can't wait for the next random northeast tournament <laughs> that you and I can, you know, go sit at the bar afterwards. Exactly. It's going to be, it's going to be a good day.
1: No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, uh, I want us to kind of move on to a, a maybe slightly lighter topic. Um, <laughs> and that is the, the, something that to recently announced um, that they're creating a student advisory board. And uh, this is something that I have slightly mixed feelings on And I'll explain why they're mixed at the just the statement that there's going to be a student advisory board absolutely I am overjoyed. I think for so long, I have said on this podcast that we need student current competitor voices um, as part of the board it, it It is kind of insane that there is no voice of the students to the for, on the board um, or at least just sharing their opinions and I think that the fact that there is a student advisory board being created is an amazing step in the right direction. Um, I think that. The exact details of what that student advisory board is going to be doing were not super clear, and I'm hoping that they will be clearer soon. Um, and I, I I, I, think that one of the biggest things that I'm hoping out of it is that we get a lot of transparency out of it. As Ben and I talk about all the time, transparency <laughs> is good. Um, I think we're pretty consistent on that viewpoint. Um, and I'm hoping that the student advisory board will, will bring more of that because, it will require the board to being privy to these students that are on this board, uh, the this advisory board. And ideally, those students can then be accountable to their fellow competitors. Um, and I, I will say that I want to encourage our listeners, you know, if you're someone who Listens to this podcast. I think, in general, you are someone that is active enough in this activity that you waste your time listening to this you know, these two guys that (laughs) are just sore and talking about mock trial. You probably care enough about it that you would be a valuable asset to this advisory board. And I think I want there to be so many applications to this advisory board that they they that there's either trouble deciding who to put on it or they feel the need to expand it. I mean that to me is a a sure sign of showing how important this is and why it is so important to have it and to expand it. And I I I will say this. I have tons of friends at this point that are that are on the board. I, I really respect members of the board, but I think it is important to have outside voices. If you don't know a single person on the board, that is all the more reason that you should be applying. I I sincerely hope that this is not just the students of people that are already, of of teams that are already board members. That to me is not really um, accomplishing all of the possible goals that this could do. And so if you're listening, if you have no idea how the board works that is not a reason not to apply. That is a reason that you should apply. So this is my shout out to all of you to go out and apply right now. Go on AMTA's website and apply. Make sure that we have that as a a strong presence on the board. And it can only be strong if we have people that are willing to do it.
0: Yeah. Two quick thoughts on this. I agree with all of that. Um, I I do think Technically, for this year, I think the admissions date is past the the application date. Oh, I think well, then whatever. Ago. Yeah. But it, it, this is, that doesn't mean you shouldn't consider. Like everything you said is true, and we should consider applying in the future, or if they reopen it again for later this year, or anything like that. Um, two really quick thoughts on this, though. Number one, everything you were saying is right about like getting outside perspective. I, I think sometimes. We, and by we, I mean like non-student members of this community, sometimes forget to just shut up and listen to students. Right? Listen to students when they tell you about the impact this activity has on their mental health or their physical health. Mm-hmm. Listen to students who talk about, you know, experiences of discrimination and racism and all and sexism and, and and so many other things that can happen in this activity and in the legal community. And we have to have to get better at that and. I, I think this is the way to do it. I mean, there are there are lots of ways to do it. There are ways to just sort of listen more, right? Um, you know, not to not to go all Aaron Burr on everybody, <laughs> but to, you know, like like to talk a little bit less and to listen a little bit more. Um, and so, I, I like this idea. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Brandon Harper, and um, I'm very encouraged by the fact that this is one of the things that he is doing initially. Like one of the first things, you know, it's like. His statement was basically his inaugural address, right? That like it was his opportunity to say, you know, to the community, here are my priorities. The fact that he put this in there, I think is great. Um, my only other thought, I hope it doesn't become the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Here's mm-hmm. what I mean by that. <laughs> I hope it doesn't become something that in two years when the next to president takes over becomes obsolete because that has happened in this activity where – like one president sort of makes an initiative and pushes something. And then we have such short terms that, you know, two years later, someone new takes over who has new priorities and you don't really ever hear from that them again. I hope that the board embraces this so that whomever steps into Brandon's role in two years is on board with this and says, I'm not just going to continue this, I'm going to make it better and I'm going to learn from the mistakes or the things that we've you know taken in over the last couple of years uh, so I'm really encouraged by it, I like it, um, I think everything Brandon put in his initial statement You know, the, the committee specifically related to uh, diversity and inclusion in mock trial, I think that's spectacular You know, Brand- Brandon I believe is the first non-white president in the history of this organization and that's a really powerful thing to have happen at this specific moment in time
1: mm-hmm.
0: so I am, I was encouraged by basically everything he said in his statement. And I hope that those specific initiatives will lead to this activity just getting better.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I just checked and yes, the application period ended on July 5th. So I, my, my little speech to everyone is a little bit late, but still, as Ben said, definitely, yeah, you get the point that I'm saying, come on. Right. (laughs) Um, And any, I mean, I think that look, Ben, you're, you're right. I think that, you know, I'm really excited for brandon's uh, tenure as the as the president of of the organization. I think that, as you said, it couldn't come at a better time and I think that I'm excited to see what what changes um, we as an organization make. I think that hopefully whether because of this podcast or whether because there's just been more presence on whether it's impeachments or whatever else uh, people are using nowadays, I think that there's been a lot of 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 students saying that they need to be heard and whether this is a result, this student advisory board is a direct result of that or not. Um, I am, I'm proud that we are making these strides. Um, I think that it is, as I said, steps in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, And of course, as we step in that direction, one of the things that we are stepping towards is the uh, 2020 to 2021 case, uh, which is, I mean, what going to be out in a little bit over a month, which is a completely Crazy thing for me to feel like I'm going to say out loud, but I mean, we're recording this just a couple, you know, maybe like a week into uh, the month of July. And, you know, I mean, if it comes out around August 15th, like it usually does, we, we don't have a ton of time. Um, the the 2020 to 2021 case topic, for those of you guys who who haven't gotten a chance to see it. Um, It's a police detective with a vendetta investigates a local crime syndicate. To advance the investigation, the detective pushes a drug dealer to spy on the syndicate as a confidential informant or CI. The CI is later gunned down by the syndicate. The CI's spouse has brought suit under the state-created danger doctrine, alleging that the detective violated the CI's rights by endangering and then failing to protect the CI. Uh, Drew obviously this has been out for a little while now but did you have any particular reaction when you first got a chance to read um this case preview
1: yeah i think that i i definitely think this is a interesting issue i think that there are uh, i think that given what's going on right now there're definitely some we're going to have some narrow paths to weave um to make sure that this isn't a really uh concerning material to be getting into um, just whenever we're talking about you know police causing someone to get killed, you know that's just a that's a tough topic for a lot of people for obvious reasons. Um, I think that one of the biggest takeaways I have from this is that this doesn't sound like a civil case, and it is going to be a civil case, but there's still going to be a cop, someone still died, there is you know drug dealers. I mean this. If I told you there was a case in which someone dies, there's a detective and there's a drug dealer, I think most people would guess that this was a criminal case, and mm-hmm. that's fine. You know, it doesn't. It's not necessarily like a a bad thing, but I think that it is. I think it's a result in my opinion of the fact that we as a community kind of always push the whole like oh we want someone to die like we want you know sex drugs murder all that like that's like fun for people and we're kind of oddly bloodthirsty in some ways it's a little sad (laughs) for sure but I I, I get that I mean I think that as someone that has competed in a number of different cases I'll be the first to admit that when I had when I heard that I was doing an age discrimination case I wasn't exactly jumping with joy Um, but I think that there's something to be said about um, some of the more interesting topics that civil cases can get into, and I think that it it forces people to be a little bit more dynamic, and to not be kind of reliant on the the kind of pigeonholed uh, maybe witness roles or just general like uh, the type of rhetoric that people use in criminal cases. Um, obviously, you're not going to be saying beyond a reasonable doubt, but Still talk about drugs. Still talk about you know dirty cops and uh, those types of things are are just to me very common of a criminal case. And I I would have liked to see uh maybe a more a more nuanced case that had to do with a more an interesting civil uh, idea. That being said, I do think that you know. Police endangerment is kind of a, a very interesting issue that we don't necessarily talk about all the time, and will require some some you know delving into for people. So, I think that I am overall excited about the case. I want to make sure that they toe certain lines for sure, but I think that I, I'm as a net positive uh, excited just to honestly just to get to read a new case. I think that's always going to be exciting for me in some way.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the new case part, especially, I mean, like, it just feels so weird that we didn't get a Nationals case and, right, and all right. of those things. Um, just a couple quick thoughts on this. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's a really uh, good point about uh, it kind of feeling like a criminal case. And, and I don't really know if that's a critique, just a sort of a, a fact. Um, I So first, I kind of want to acknowledge, we mentioned this briefly just a little while ago, but, you know, Drew and I are very aware and I've had a lot of conversations about um the mock trial community and how uh, you know, our community is impacted and affected by uh, police violence and police brutality. And, you know, the global really reckoning that our our world has been having over the last several months uh, related specifically to, um, you know, black lives matter and, Mm -hmm. and just how Mm -hmm. important it is to to say that out loud. Um, We also recognize very much that we really have little to no agency to speak with authority on those topics. And so we are working on like a way to do an episode that elevates the voices of those who do. Um, And so we don't ever want to sound like we're like not talking about those things in depth. We we talk about them a tremendous amount sort of between the two of us and and with people we know. um, And we're just working on how to do that right. Um, But the one thing I will say on that specific topic is it is a real concern of mine in this current day and age, and in, in, in any time, but specifically in our current time, if like, we are saying to students, the only way in which you can participate in this activity is half of the time to uh, defend a police officer. That can be genuinely traumatic yep. to uh, Black members of our community, to members of our community of color, to uh, the LGBTQ IA members of our community who uh, have you know suffered at the hands of of you know government violence and police violence and and Mm -hmm. the the one thing that I really want to specifically say is that the stuff that we need to stop is this well that's how the real world works and so that's you need to deal with it in the real world get rid of that perspective it's wrong and it's bad okay I understand that this activity is meant to to some degree, simulate the real world. And yes, if you become a lawyer, depending on the type of lawyer you are, you will have to deal with some of those issues. I mean, I I don't do criminal litigation, but sometimes I do have to you know, deal with difficult topics. I know that. We're in college, all right? We don't need to um, justify actions by saying, well, you got to toughen up for the real world. I don't buy that. I think it's BS. uh, And I hope that you know, I'm not telling, I'm not advocating necessarily that this case needs to go away, but I'm just saying, like, we need to have a serious conversation about what this case means for our, the members of our community who are students of color, who are black students, who are students who have been affected by police violence. Um, The only other things I'll I'll say about it uh, is, I, I will say, I agree with you that the state-created danger doctrine is a very interesting legal concept. If you set aside everything I was just talking about, mm-hmm. it is a interesting sort of indirect legal concept, um, and I think that that type of legal concept could be super interesting to explore in a mock trial case. I just I have some concerns about uh, doing this case uh, in general, but also at this specific moment in time.
1: Yeah, uh, Ben, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned all that. I I think that it's. It's so important to say out loud that Black Lives Matter, and I think that, as you said, Ben, I don't think that we are the right people to 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 spend a lot of time talking about it. But, um, just like in this exceedingly brief, uh, like kind of discussion we're having, it is important to say it. It's important to acknowledge it, and it's important to be aware of it. And uh, it's something that I, I hope that the case writers were thinking about and being cognizant of and in, in coming up with this case it's not like they can't make edits if they realize that you know something maybe they should reconsider um and so i i hope that that has been something that they've been looking at through their their many edits and i'm sure they're doing a good job with the case but i i do hope that they're paying attention because as you said ben you know it's it's something that ha- you're going to have to defend a cop half the time and you know hopefully that's not something that's really awful and hard for you to do um and just to say you know you said that. Uh, you know, people make the argument that, you know, that's what the real world is. That's, it's just, first of all, not true. I mean, like, there's no other time where you're, like, forced to do that. If if you're uncomfortable with it in the real world, like, there are options available to you. It's, it, it's just, it's a ludicrous statement, and I, I think it's just silly. Um, but uh, I want us to kind of move on even beyond that. Once the case does come out, obviously, we're going to talk more about the case itself. Um, yeah, for sure. But uh, for now, uh, I think the last thing that's kind of on the the docket of things coming up in the mock trial world is the board meeting. Um, mm. And we've kind of talked a little bit about the the board with the Student act, uh, Advisory Board, of course, but I think that um, – we're obviously going to do our, our episode soon uh, where we discuss the board meeting once it actually happens. Um, ben and I were both thrilled to see that the board meeting this year is going to be live streamed. So uh, you know, <laughs> it, we're going to be tuning in and I would encourage everyone else, you know, tune in, listen to it. Uh, it's You're not going to have access necessarily to the, the Zoom call itself, but I think that we're stepping, as we've said many times, in the right direction. Um, at least everyone can listen to it, can hear it, um, and and they can see what the the faces of all these people that are making decisions are. Um, just to quickly kind of run through a couple of the agenda items, um, you know, Ben, we can kind of briefly talk about them. And then obviously, once the board meeting itself happens, we can launch into a little bit more of a detailed discussion about some of them. But I think that there were three main ones that were the ones that least caught our eyes of ones that are things to be aware of if you are tuning in um, that are going to be kind of the interesting ones. Uh, the first one i 'll start with is rules 01, which basically is uh, talking about the this concept of expert disclosure and what it would basically do to my understanding of uh, reading this rule is that there would be a rule that 's added where if an expert is going really outside the confines of their report and talking about things that they didn 't disclose and their report didn 't talk about having reviewed this type of evidence, you could make this objection um, and it would basically be heard by the judge. I think that this is. At least in some small way to combat the whole invention of fact stuff, I don't think it really comes close to dealing with the issue. It's obviously limited to experts, but I, I will say, you know, we've said this probably four or five times now, but it is a step in the right direction. Um, I think that this is at least, if if this does something like this does pass, I think that this, at the very least, is providing more. St- very clear guidelines to people about what is and is not okay. And whether you agree with it or not, at least we're all playing on the same playing field, right? I mean, that to me is what's most important about this is that we're, we all have the same tools. And when you say to people, oh, we know what this is and you should just know what we mean, that's not fair. That's not even ground. And the more that we have that's explicitly written, the more that we say, okay, this is exactly what is right and this is what is wrong, then people can see, okay, this is the very clear line that I can either choose to stay behind or I can step over. So in that perspective, I do like this rule in general. I, I think that it's, it's good to, to have more explicit rules on a mention of fact. And I think that uh, this is one specifically towards experts, but one that I think is in general a good one. Uh, but Ben, what do you think?
0: Yeah, very briefly. I so it was interesting to me. I think this one, the other two we're gonna talk about were advanced with a positive recommendation from committee, which I think makes it more likely that they'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um actually I'm not sure about the scouting one, but I, I think at least the other one was. Um but this one was advanced with no recommendation, which means I think it it lessens oh, a you're little not bit the <laughs> likelihood. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. It's it it's I, I'm still getting a feel for exactly how likely that would mean. Uh I, all, I think all I'll say about this is I I am on board with the what appears to be the reasoning behind this rule. It seems to be something that so a lot of us, I'm guessing, including I will be, you know, fully honest, my team at, at points have sort of like finagled together expert conclusions. Um, you know, Drew and I were talking about this off mic. And, and one of the ones we talked about was Longfellow mm-hmm. from the uh, Hendricks case a couple of years ago and how they were like a former police detective. And some people would kind of use that. And we had a direct that we ran here and there that kind of used that. I I don't think it went quite as far as some other ones did, but like, you know, it kind of cobbled it together from reading between the lines. Um, I, I think I tentatively like the idea of trying to limit that a bit. Um, I don't ever want to get to a point where, like you say, these are the experts, three explicit conclusions. And if you don't like say these close to verbatim you're committing an egregious invention of fact i sure, don't like sure. that like i think it, you have to be prepared for creativity for teams to say we're gonna ignore 98 of the report and focus on these two paragraphs and build an entire direct from it i think that shows creativity and as long as you're doing it within the bounds of the rules i think it's fine I so agree. uh if they can do this in a way that doesn't like drastically go the opposite direction and like make it impossible for you to be creative with experts. Uh, I'm on board with the idea. I generally think, like you said, more guidance for invention of fact is a good thing.
1: Well, moving on to the, the, the second one that we were going to kind of discuss, um, you kind of mentioned it just in in passing, Ben, but the, the rule on, on scouting, I kind of want to talk about that one and it's rules. Oh, four. If we're going in, in any kind of order. Um, And Rules 04 basically says that the first two rounds of orcs um, will be, you know, non-scouted rounds. You're not allowed to uh, to go and watch either of those rounds. I will say this: uh, I think that this doesn't. I, I don't really like this. To be honest, I, I think that uh, I, I think that scouting is a really interesting part of mock trial, and I think that, in my opinion, there are ways to scout in ways I think are really important, really productive. And there are ways to do it that are technically fine, but like, I don't like them. And what I mean by that is that I think it is great. And I think it is important for teams that are middle to lower tier to be able to see really good teams go. And whether that is going and scouting them at orcs, like that they need, in my opinion, they need to have that opportunity. It is the way that you improve the most easily. It is just... It it is the best way to get better. I know it is the way that I got better, and I think it's the way that most people feel that they get better is through watching others do it and through seeing, oh, wow, this worked so well. Okay, maybe I try to adopt my style and, and, and do things more like that. Uh, there's just so many little things you can pick up on. And I think that my biggest issue with this is that Orcs is kind of the first chance for a lot of teams to be at a tournament where there are guaranteed to be at minimum six teams at nationals or I guess five but uh, there are a number of teams that are going to nationals from that tournament and if you're a smaller program who doesn't go to a lot of big invites this is probably the only time all year you have to ever see those teams go and I think it's, it's taking away Two possible rounds that people have to go and watch those teams, and that to me is just too much of a loss for any possible gain you might have from limiting the scouting. Now, to the other side of this, I, I get why there may be a tendency to do this, and this is the the kind of bad side of scouting that I view it as. There's an aspect of scouting where you send, you know, two, one, two, three, however many people, and they take out their computers in the back of the room, have their head down, and just literally record every word that is spoken from either one or both teams. And it's sad, but this does happen. Um, It happens fairly frequently. And it is done so that they can then later review it with the rest of the team and find little holes or find what objections they want to make or whatever else they're going to do. I personally don't like this form of scouting. It's technically not like... like, There are no rules that prevent you from doing that. Um, This obviously would but i i guess that i think that that is a small enough amount of the time that that happens and i don't really think it's like so awful that it overrides the net good that you get from having lower teams being able to watch watch those top tier teams and i guess one of the biggest takeaways i'll have from this that i'll I'll say before i throw it over to you ben is if you're doing something where if someone transcribes the whole trial, or they listen to your your case, that it makes your whole theory fall apart. You probably shouldn't be running that theory. That's probably not a very strong case theory. If it is so dependent on the other side not knowing what you're doing to succeed, well, I, like I, I would kind of argue, okay, well, be more creative. Like if if the best you can do is catch them by surprise, then you should do better. Um, and look, is it fun to go up in a round where someone else knows what you're going to say before you say it and can already have their objection planned? Like, no, I'm not going to sit here and say that's fun. But I think that, you know, if one or two teams are going to do that, but a hundred are going to be able to watch a couple extra rounds that they weren't going to, to me, it's a necessary evil. But Ben, I'll throw it over to you. What do you think? Uh,
0: I I don't care that much about scouting, to be completely honest with you. like, And I know there are some people who really intensely dislike it. We scout occasionally. If I happen to have a couple extra people, I'll send them to go watch good rounds. I scout here and there, um, usually when I'm annoyed at my teams. <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm going to go scout. And instead, I'm like, I don't want to hear our stupid theory one more time. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I just, like, I'm not convinced it does that much. Like, we, we scout. If I scout, it is not, let me get your entire theory. It is, let me see, like, what you're doing so that I can see if you're doing something radically different mm-hmm. and I might want to change up what I'm doing. Um, I get that, particularly when you're dealing with a case. Like, like okay, this year, right? Mm-hmm. I understand we had the murder-manslaughter thing that, like, you know, like, we played uh, a team at Orcs, who called? Uh, who ran murder and called both experts on the prosecution. Uh, it just so happened that we played that team, my B team, like that team hit my B team and then my A team in successive rounds mm-hmm. on prosecution. So like, I mean, we didn't scout them, but we knew, right. like, and we were able to prepare for that. Was that helpful? Of course it was helpful. Could we have been ready either way? Yeah, we would have been fine um like it might have been a little more panic before the round but we would have just gotten out the cross we needed run it once and, and I don't think it would have been a big issue. So look, the, your point about people transcribing transcribing trials is a fair one, right? And I wish there was a way that we could somehow prevent that, but you you start to end up with like how do you possibly right, adjudicate right. that? So, I personally I think scouting is one of those things that like we should just allow and we should just Per minute, and teams can do what they want to do. And if you want to try to scout every round, so be it. And I, I get like, okay, I get that this specifically targets orcs. Targets one rounds one and two at orcs, and the rationale is it's easier to predict with the new orcs pairing system. Right. Like, if you're a top round team, right? If you go, if you have, if you can have five scouts, if you're in the A group and you can have five scouts yeah. who watch the other five A group teams around one and two, like, yeah. If I had five extra people, would I do that? Absolutely. No hesitation, because it would be a useful thing to do. But I don't think it would end up being outcome determinative. And I just, yeah. So I personally, I don't think this is necessary.
1: I'll add two more things to this. And I have one kind of pro and one kind of against. And the, the one I'll say for it is that in in fairness to the design of this rule, the positive to it is that it does not preclude rounds three and four. And that would allow for teams to go and watch the two high, high rounds, right? I mean, the the rounds one and two are where it's A versus D and A versus C and B versus D and B versus C. The rounds three and four are where A and B are hitting each other. And so there is some rationale to, okay, you get to see those high, high rounds still. So that I will say that briefly. That is a positive for it. I still don't think I'm supporting it, but I just wanted to be fair and say that. I think the the last thing I'll kind of conclude with this is that I think this actually widens the gap on the, you know, kind of top tier teams and and bottom tier teams. And what I mean by that is that if you have contacts, if you know people from other teams, it makes it all the more easier to then call up your buddy and say, hey, like, what was their call? And I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm not saying people should necessarily do that. But I'm being realistic. And I'm saying that that is more likely to happen if people can't scout and people are going to be you know, talking about trading information. And if you have more contacts with more other teams, then you're going to be privy to that information that that other team has no hope of getting. If you make scouting available to everyone at all times, then as you said, Ben, if you have the capability to do it, then you go for it. And look, I'm not saying every team has the capability to do it. But again, I, I said this earlier, to me, it is all about a level playing ground. Uh, a level playing ground like making it so that every team has the same opportunities as every other team does and i get that it's not a realistic opportunity for everyone to have extra people to go and scout but at the very least it's there if you just ban scouting all altogether, i do think that it gives this opportunity for the gap to become even further widened whether it's because the lower tier teams aren't able to see better teams go or because they don't have access to the same information that those uh better more connected teams might have um but i think in general you know kind of we both have pretty much agreed in general scouting shouldn't really be affecting things that much and i think that by banning it during these two rounds it's really going to have more of a detrimental effect on bad teams rather than really affecting the uh the accuracy of high high rounds
0: yeah um i think those are interesting points and i I will be very curious to listen to the discussion this yep. one was uh, advanced with no recommendation yep. so i was wrong earlier so we'll see what happens um the very last thing uh that we wanted to call attention to and this is very brief and then we'll, we'll wrap up this segment but so the one of the three that we noticed that was advanced with a positive recommendation was ECO 5 to create a new rule uh communication with external media um not that we would know anything about that content <laughs> uh But this rule, uh, basically that it lists a couple of various permutations, but it basically says that directors and candidate directors should notify the president or the president's designee whenever they are asked to speak to the media on behalf of AMTA and should only respond to said request with specific permission from the president or the president's designee. Uh, and it kind of goes into like social media and, uh, making it clear that you're not speaking on behalf of AMTA. Here's my only thoughts on this, uh, I I think this is sort of a combination of the Mock Draw Confessions rule and the mm-hmm. Mock Review rule. <laughs> and I I got no general problem with this. The, the rationale says, oh, this is like a common thing in bylaws. And sure, that's fine. Um, I will be very grumpy if this rule turns into uh, like AMTA people like deciding not to come talk to us or not to make them make themselves available to the community because of this rule. I don't think it will. I don't think it's written to be that way. Um, But like here's what we do is not that hard. Um, Neither one of us are like, you know, brilliant people who have these incredible thoughts as you all know. So if you've listened to our episodes before, um, (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I hate to break it to you, but like I, I, I think there's a lot of really, really good people on the AMTA board and we've had a chance to talk to a lot of them and I bet most people never would have heard uh, you know, Jonathan Woodward break down the history of AMTA's tabbing system if he hadn't been willing to come talk to us or Adam Detsky spending an hour going through his crazy brain and talking about all his permutations or doing things or Gelf and Neil talking to us about the case. right? And so uh, I hope that This is something where Ampta says, all right, we're going to kind of protect ourselves because we speak as one voice as a board, totally get that, respect that 100%. But, like, this should be alongside speaking more, not less. The more you can communicate with the community, not just as, like, the giant sort of Ampta entity, but as individuals to say, hey, the board, it's just made up of, of a bunch of humans who are just dorks like the rest of us and enjoy this activity. uh, I hope this doesn't inhibit that. But generally, other than that, I don't think there's anything wrong with it.
1: Yeah, I think that you're totally right, Ben. I think that I think, at least in my opinion, I think where this might have been coming from, and where I, I at least hope it was coming from, was that you don't want people responding on mock trial confessions to things that are said either about them, about their program, right? I mean, like that's...
0: Ever, period. Never respond to anything on mock trial confessions. Unless (laughs) you want to
1: discuss whether or not we are shipping Hermione and Harry and Hermione and Ron, it probably doesn't belong on mock trial confessions. And if anyone didn't get that reference, then whatever. Um, Your life is better for it. Yeah, honestly, probably. But uh, honestly, there's very little productive conversation that happens on mock trial confessions. And I guess that my my biggest thing with this is that if, if this limits the, I mean, First of all, I haven't really thought that anyone on the empty board has said or done anything on mantra confessions that I've had like a big problem with, to be honest. Um, I don't think anyone has ever said like, well, I'm on the board and you know, let me tell you why you're wrong or why I'm – right." You know, I mean if someone was doing that, I'd have a problem with it. I think that this may have been done just as like a, hey, it hasn't been happening, but we want to make sure it doesn't in the future and that we have a rule in place to make sure that that does not happen um and as you said as far as our podcast goes if you know i think that basically everyone that has been on the board that has come on the podcast has said this and it, they're the line of just i'm speaking on behalf of myself not on behalf of the board and to me i'm kind of like of course like that's totally fine i wouldn't expect you to speak on behalf of the board i'm expecting you to speak as the tab chair or as the chair of the committee that wrote this case you know whatever like that is what we're expecting and that's totally fine but as you said like that does that mean that they can't talk about what that committee does or did without getting special permission? I mean, I, I just like, honestly, I don't really have a problem with them, like needing to ask permission as long as permission is granted. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a reason I I would hope there's no reason why they would say no. Again, as you said, Ben, it's about getting this information out to people. And I, I want to believe that is a a net good thing. and something that AMTA would want to do. Um, but Obviously, it's not ideal if if it becomes this system of like, oh, well, you know, we don't really want to come on and talk about that. So we're not going to. And oh, this rule says we can't talk to you about that. Because that is not the way I read it. And if they do pass this, and they say, oh, we're, you know, no one on the board is allowed to talk to anymore, I would be very, very disappointed. And i I will go ahead and say that if that is what they decide to do we will have a podcast discussing what is so wrong with that. Um and, and I'm pretty comfortable saying right now that I will will go to bat that that is a terrible terrible thing for them to be doing. Um but in general I think that you know Ben you kind of mentioned those were kind of the three things that we kind of noticed that stuck out to us in this board meeting. Honestly I I kind of thought this was a pretty tame agenda. There's I mean mm-hmm. in the past we've kind of had all these like you know, mention of fact things. I mean, I, we mentioned the expert disclosure thing, but it's not really anything too crazy. Um, I mean, we've had in the past really big changes to how many bids were going to be allocated to places or, uh, you know, how much the imitational fee was going to cost. I actually do think it was a pretty big deal. Um, we don't really have anything too, too crazy happening right now. So, uh, you know, I, I guess in conclusion, nothing too crazy happening, but definitely looking forward to it being live streamed. And uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of my closing thoughts on the board meeting.
0: Yeah. All I'll say is I'll echo what you said a little while ago about being glad that it's live streamed. I wish it hadn't taken a global pandemic to get to that point, (laughs) but I'm glad that like genuinely, I'm glad that they're doing it. Um, and I the, I forget if you mentioned this earlier, but they did with the statement they released today. There's going to be an email address where people can e- email comments. Uh, I chatted with someone who's sort of affiliated with that, and and they said that like their their goal is to be very responsive and pay attention to that. So I would strongly encourage our listeners. Uh, I'm going to try really really hard to have this episode up um, in plenty of time before the board meeting this weekend. Uh, and I would strongly encourage our listeners to watch the meeting, submit questions, uh, just kind of you know mm-hmm. see what's going on uh, with everything in AMTA. Uh, but uh, we've talked for long enough. We uh, have a great opportunity to talk to three fantastic people uh, for this episode. So we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we will have the entire Duke trial by combat team. We're going to have Sonali, her second chair, Seva, her coach, Eric, uh, to break down everything related to trial by combat and uh, Sonali's fantastic win. So we will be right back with Sonali, Seva, and Eric.
1: I'm glad I didn't have the uh, stress of a ballot in this round. Uh, We left it to our 13 judges. And so I'm delighted to congratulate this year's trial by combat winner, Sonali Mehta from Duke. Congratulations. Welcome back to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. We are now so thrilled to be joined by Sonali Mehta, the recent victor of the 2019-2020 weird, wacky trial by combat that happened online. But we have her with us. And first and foremost, Sonali, congratulations and welcome back to The Mock Review.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you guys for having me back.
1: And Sonali, you're actually joined by the remainder of your team that joined you at Trial by Combat, Uh, Seva, your wonderful second chair, and Eric Roitman, your wonderful coach. Uh, So, Eric, Seva, welcome to the Mock Review. It is great to be here, figuratively speaking.
3: (laughs) Yeah, great to be here. This is absolutely the peak of my Mock Trial
1: career. (laughs) Well, I want us to start where where, you know, we kind of left off in the world of, of mock trial and that sonali you just found out that you've won trial by combat. So take us back to that moment. How did it feel? What 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 were the emotions when you heard that final result?
2: Sure, yeah. I was, you know, in the my parents' study where I did the trials and um Sabo was with me and my parents were standing in the corner, just filming and trying to be quiet, but not being quiet at all. And, um, yeah. And then Justin said my name and it was, it was really crazy. I think like it didn't sink in for a long time. Like I sort of didn't believe it was happening. Um, I sort of wrote about this on Facebook, but I, you know, really had imposter syndrome about my TBC spot. And then to actually win the whole thing, it was, it was just crazy. Like I honestly was not sinking into my head for a long time.
0: You know, Sonali, I, I hadn't planned about asking this here, but you mentioned it and I read your your Facebook post about imposter syndrome and I, I thought it was really powerful because I think that's something that uh, it's not uncommon in this activity and in many, many activities uh, like this. Uh, can you talk about that just a little bit and, and the emotion of going from feeling that imposter syndrome and, and you, I think you started it out by saying you almost didn't even apply to ultimately ending up winning the tournament?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I think like once everything turned out the way it did, I was like, okay, obviously like a lot of this was just in my head. It was not based in reality. And if other people are feeling like that, I want them to know, you know, I don't know who reads my Facebook post, but anyone else, for whatever reason, like want them to know that, you know, they're not alone in that. And there's times in my life where people have said like, I felt imposter syndrome being in this room and that's like meant a lot to me. So yeah, I mean, like I wrote, like I, I originally didn't think I was going to apply and then you know, sort of around Gampty. I think I talked about it with Eric. I decided, you know, might as well try. Um, and I probably won't get it. But if I do, like either way, like they should make the decision. I don't want to rule myself out. And then, you know, when I found out I got the spot and for the month leading up to it, Eric and Seva heard about it more than anyone else, I think that I just felt you know, like I sort of didn't deserve it. And I was like, I got to do well because I need to prove it to myself. And, mostly to myself, that, like, I do deserve the spot. I do deserve to be here. And I think I, like, really intentionally spent some time leading up to the tournament just reminding myself that, like, I'm here for a reason. I just need to do the best I can, like, thinking about these other things, about, like, whether or not I deserve it is beside the point. The fact is, like, I have the spot and I need to do the best I can with it. Um, But honestly, like, that was part of my prep was, like, doing some of that reflection and thinking to sort of make sure I wasn't, you know, freaking out like that when the actual tournament came.
1: You know, Sonali, I'm so glad that you you brought this up. And I was so grateful reading your post just that you had shared that with so many people. The The concept of imposter syndrome that you're talking about, I think is so common in, at least in my experience with mock trial. We're all, everyone that's doing mock trial is is doing this whole fake confident, I'm just, I know exactly what I'm talking about when half the time we just do not. And on a grander scale, I think that hearing that Quite literally, the top competitor in the country feels that way. I think it it can justify that feeling for a lot of people. So I know that I, as someone who has competed recently, felt that way and, and was really... I felt so good seeing it. Uh, not that I want other people to feel that way, but it, you feel like you're not alone. You feel like, wow, like, okay, other people feel this way too. Because that feeling of, oh my gosh, like I, whether I don't deserve this award or don't deserve the accolades or the accomplishments I have, or I, I shouldn't be here or someone else is better. All of those feelings, I think that more people than not feel them. And we constantly have to push them aside and pretend that they're not there so i know i was really grateful just to see that you had uh, had written about it because it's something that we don't talk about enough in the mock trial world
2: yeah i appreciate that i think like part of it for me was knowing that people who win and who have won in the past or like just like these big figures in the mock trial world like Mm -hmm. you know if you don't know them personally they feel kind of like celebrities it's like wow i'm not like and you just hear people say like these people are phenomenal they're amazing and you're like i don't even know what that looks like and then exactly. I felt that way, you know, the things people were saying about me, I was like, that's not like, I'm not that good, you know, and so I think like, I didn't want that to happen to me where people were felt like, you know, I've been doing I started my trial like a, in a child like everyone else did. I didn't know what I was doing for a long time. And um, yeah, I don't know. I sort of wanted people to know that.
1: It's, it's funny because I think it even extends to teams. I mean, it's, it's something where when you're a smaller program and you're facing UVA for the first time or, totally. or Yale or Miami, you're just like, oh, they're just these larger than life people. And we're all just you know college kids that are doing mock trial and having fun. And it's important to remember that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, uh, Sonali, I, I want to kind of, Go back a little bit and talk about the process but i'm actually going to direct my next question to uh the two gentlemen who are joining us so uh seva and uh eric i want to talk a little bit about the process right and then and then sonali obviously i I would be interested in your thoughts on this too so you guys you know sonali you kind of give us a preview of how you guys had prepared right but as i know from doing this now and i think many people know from doing this oftentimes some of that goes out the window once you actually get your hands on the case so you, we get our hands on the case justin reveals it's you know his twisted version of tiger king because <laughs> you know what trial by combat would be complete without some twisted justin bernstein idea um how let's let's start let's start with Seva since you were there um yeah. and then go to eric uh when you guys first get your hands on the case uh how did things go from there during that 24 hours
3: yeah, so, I mean, we had done a couple scrimmages before this. So we kind of knew what we were in for, like, a little bit what it was like to prep a case in 24 hours. But, I mean, obviously, there's nothing like the real thing. and It was crazy, and, you know, we were writing directs, like, faster than we'd ever done it before. But I think what – I think the real moment of prep that, like, was – that stood out to me the most, that kind of was emblematic of the whole thing, was that moment right after semifinals before the <laughs> – I mean, we had, like – 30 minutes to write four different things right we had to write a direct across another direct another cross and fix the speeches and fix the opens and I mean I wrote like an 18 I don't know I don't know how many questions direct in like three minutes and it was absolutely <laughs> chaotic um, but honestly after that like I feel like we can do anything you know I mean like <laughs> after that kind of prep I mean I really feel like we can do anything but I mean, honestly, like I I, I did think it was going to be more challenging than it was. I mean, obviously it was extremely hard, like a lot of work, but the 24 hours, honestly, I thought was enough.
2: Okay. I do not endorse that statement. It was crazy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Neither neither do I, to be very (laughs) honest. To be fair, I was just making PowerPoints. So
4: (laughs) So actually, so, I mean, from my perspective on, on the 24 hours, I think, I think that, The prep that we did actually turned out to be like extraordinarily useful Um, because more than anything, like when you're prepping for trial by combat, you're not prepping like content, you're prepping the process, like you're preparing how you're going to attack the case. And we did two 24-hour prep scrimmages um, and like I would say the process our first time around was not optimal, like it was not a process that probably would have won out you know, a couple weeks later at the actual try by combat. Um, But we were able to kind of like tweak what we were doing as we went along. So we knew like who was going to do what when that 24 hour period started. And we were able to prep some things like well in advance, like pre-trial, you know, online pre-trial was prepped well in advance Um, because like, you know, we kind of decided like our philosophy would be that anything that could be done before the 24 hours would be done before the 24 hours. Um, and I mean, I think like, obviously Sonali and Sava were the ones actually performing this in round, but, um, but at least from my perspective, I think like just our, our, like kind of optimizing our, our preparation process was, was really key. Maybe to why Sava thought it was like easier than he thought it would be, um, <laughs> at the very least.
0: Sonali, what do you, what do you think about that? How do you feel like. You know, based on hearing how, you know, Sava and Eric are describing the the preparation period, do you kind of agree with their sentiments on how it went?
2: Yeah, I think that the thing that I'm really glad that we did that just made me feel a lot better and more confident was the two scrimmages because we scrimmaged once and then I talked to you guys after that scrimmage and I was like, Oh my gosh, I really need to memorize rhetoric, otherwise it's gonna be a mess. That didn't happen. That totally went out the window. Um <laughs> We went into the second scrimmage and we spent a ton of time on speeches and that turned out to be a huge mistake. And so we tweaked after that. And so by the time we went into it for real, I felt pretty good that we had down a process. And yeah, and like they're saying, you know, we especially with the online format, we practice things so we would, we would be able to do it when the time came, like even things like, you know, how do we do an impeachment on this format and make sure that like, you know, save it can have it ready fast enough. Like we practiced that ahead of the 24 hour period. And so when it came time, it was like really just working with the content, like Eric was saying. And we tried to make sure some of those other things were out of the way um, because it is like, it's just so fast. Um, The other thing was like, I had to trust myself a little bit more with the memorization that like, even if I didn't totally have it down the way I would in a normal tournament it was still going to be okay
4: yeah I, I think actually going off that like that was a big thing I think I kind of talked to you about this during the tournament but but that was a big thing for like that was a big thing for why you did so well on closings that weekend because you got used to you know just talking about what happened during the trial I think like you know both me and you are You know generally have done lots of openings and so like you know we'd always been used to like memorize speeches and you kind of like let it go and you were ready to just like respond to what happened during trial and like the substantive stuff came across really well i think judges in trial by combat especially like you know they really like reactivity um and i think that's why you won closings
2: yeah well the reframing i had to do in my head was that it's not a one to ten you just have to get the check mark So, you know, if you have like a little vocal thing happen, that doesn't necessarily bump you, like it could bump you from a 10 to a nine in the real world, like in normal mock trial. But in TBC, it doesn't necessarily mean you won't get the check mark. There are other things that matter more like making that, you know, having that like big point that you need to make or whatever it is. And so once we realized that, I think I was able to like, I had a much better frame about how to deal with speeches.
1: So guys, I think that one of the interesting things about trial by combat this year is that there were a lot of... Intangibles is what I'm going to describe them that affected things um, because this was online. This was trial by combat. And a lot of those were dealt with by your second chair. And Sonali, you had the best second chair in Seva, won an That's award true, for yeah. the best second chair in trial by combat. So, Seva, I want to ask you what, what do you think you did that clearly the other second chairs were missing uh, that just <laughs> differentiated you and put you in just a a, a tier of your own?
3: <laughs> well i I wouldn't say a tier of my own, but I will say <laughs> i I mean I honestly want to give a lot of the credit to Eric, so while we were prepping, we were really trying to decide between like how much should we lean into the online format right like there's kind of two kind of branches you can take right you can take the branch where you're not really leaning in, you're kind of just performing traditional mock trial in an online format or you're leaning more into the online format and you're making a bunch of powerpoints, you're doing a ton of exhibits that kind of thing, and I think during our scrimmages and during our prep, what ultimately differentiated us is we found that middle ground. We found the setup that let us get exhibit checks and have enough PowerPoints, but also not lean too far into that online format. So like, I, I mean, I think we just kind of struck a balance between really adapting well to that format, but also keeping some of the traditional aspects of our trial that, that judges really like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um,
4: in terms of like our philosophy for the demos was kind of like, we're going to use kind of like the unlimited nature of zoom demos only in ways that will help portray like our theory or, or like enhance the ideas that we're trying, you know, to, to put out there to the jury. So, you know, we didn't want to just generally like put the words on the screen that Sonali was saying, we wanted to have like enhanced versions of real, demos. That's why we had like a timeline that zoomed in and out, for example. Um, Because we thought that like, you know, this is going to be an to judging pool. They're going to be used to like real mock trial demos. So the stuff that's going to, the stuff that they'll really like is, you know, something that feels like a real mock trial demo, but, you know, kind of taken up to the next level. Uh, But we also were kind of wary of the fact that, you know, whenever you put a demo up, Sonali's in the corner of the screen. And so, you know, we don't want to take away from her performance so much. Um, so we did kind of brainstorm lots of demo ideas beforehand, and we were able to implement some of them. And I mean, the, the reality here is like, I would just say like, oh, we should do a, a timeline that kind of zooms. And then Sava would make it all happen. Like Sava did some really cool stuff with like PowerPoint that I honestly don't understand
3: how it works, but it was great. Yeah, it really could have been that we just remembered that PowerPoint has this really cool zoom in feature. might have been the main thing.
2: Seva was also super fast like that's part of it also I think is you know like during round you want to be able to react to stuff with the exhibits and so I can't remember something happened and I was like oh we should use this in the closing and he it was like 30 seconds before I was about to start closing and he, I was like are you gonna have it he's like yeah yeah I got it and when I got you know when I got to the point point in close sure enough it comes up on the screen and um yeah he was just like super involved in the round and like really ready to do things like that
0: well uh Sonali, I want to ask you about two specific moments from the weekend. Um, and I, I was going to ask you about these before we started recording and I forgot. So this should be fun. Um, <laughs> but the first one, uh, my understanding is that you had a uh, bit of a hiccup in the semifinals. Is that right?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So your,
0: your power went out, right?
2: Yeah. So I was uh, doing semifinals against Bestman, who's amazing, of course. And um he's closing and as he's closing I'm on mute of course but my there's like thunder outside my house super loud and I kind of live like out in the middle of nowhere a little bit and so I was like the, it's the power's gonna go out I know it's gonna go out and the thunder's <laughs> happening and um Sava's like when you go up to close just like let them know that there's thunder and then as soon as pretty much like right after he says that the power goes out and my dad is sitting in the other room and stands up and like yells like i can hear him from three rooms away and everyone in my house is like frantically running around trying to get the power up we like tried to do it on my phone but the phone wasn't working because i don't have good lte out here and yeah it was a whole thing and then justin calls me as i'm like trying to get back into the room on my phone and i'm like i can't talk to you um but yeah, eventually the power came back. So I got back into the room and I think Eric was still in the room. So maybe he can tell, but I think somebody had just said like, just assume she saw the whole closing. And the first, I didn't know that. The first thing I said when I got back in the room was like, sorry, Mr. Bestman, like I didn't hear most of what you said. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know, took a second and and did the closing and it was fine. I wasn't super reactive, obviously, because I didn't hear what he said, but um, stressful for sure for those few minutes. <laughs>
4: Yeah, so that's exactly what happened when, when right before you rejoined, um, I think the, the presiding judge asked, and asked someone, maybe the bailiff, I don't remember, but asked someone, like, can we assume that Ms. Mehta has heard, has heard all of Mr. Bestman's closing? And that person just says, oh, yeah, totally. And so then (laughs) Sonali rejoins and stands up and says, I apologize for missing your whole closing (laughs) and then starts closing and does a fantastic job. Um, But yeah, it was, it was, Quite a stressful time.
0: All right. So, so that was one thing I was curious about. Uh, but I have to ask you about another thing that happened. Uh, I'm going to play something, and I just want you after I play it. Okay. I just want you to tell me what you were thinking. All right. Okay. Here we go. Uh,
1: so, who'll be playing Seth Johnson for you?
2: Well, if he's still still here, I'd love to have Mr. Peel do it.
1: Excellent, Dan Peel. Do you accept? I've actually already paired with Sydney. oh Oh, wow this this is a rough rose ceremony here on uh (laughs) trial by combat bachelor dan Peel, the the uh, most sought after witness in america
0: so you you won the tournament all right so i'm allowed to ask you this You're, you're no bs honest to god what was going on in your head thoughts in that moment
2: Oh god. I you hear me say like yikes. <laughs> um, it's such an
0: authentic reaction. I love it.
2: Yeah, that was for sure the the immediate reaction. Um okay, so basically I scrimmaged against Dan leading up to the tournament, and then he was my witness in the tournament, and we went against each other. So I was like, I've done a ton of rounds with Dan. Like, this will be super easy. But I didn't, like, necessarily think I was going to be in the final, and we definitely didn't think to ask anybody ahead of time. We were working on those, like, four, the two directs, two crosses thing. Um, So you know, I just got put on the spot and I was like, oh, like Dan. And we, I, I saw Sydney like turn to someone next to her and say something, her camera was off. And then immediately Dan goes, I paired up with Sydney. And yeah, my, I just said, yikes. I like, um, <laughs> <Dan> <laughs> didn't know what else to do. Um, but it all worked out. Brie was awesome. I We scrimmaged with Brie during that first scrimmage and um, she's really great. So no, no complaints from me.
0: <laughs> no, it, it, and it was such a... What I what I loved about when I was when I was clipping that audio earlier today and, and so I was looking at the video and everything, and I just love the sort of the like range of human emotion, right? Where Dan is sheepish and you're surprised and Sydney is surprised, and Justin, because something chaotic has happened, is delighted. You know? I know. Like <laughs> Justin has never been happier in his life that there was like drama happening before the final of TBC. I think if he he could have orchestrated it he would have and i just like it it just makes me laugh when i watch it because everyone's just reacting and it's like it's like everybody forgets that there's there's like 150 people watching this video right now
2: dan changed his instagram bio to the most sought after witness in america so (laughs) he's riding high clearly
1: well uh, sonali i think that it's it's clear that the the actual performance that you had um was a tremendous one and you know we we talked to seva about his role in in preparing and in actually as a second chair what he did i want to talk about eric now so uh, sonali obviously you have worked with eric for a while now but what do you think i mean Eric's obviously done trial by combat before and you've spoken before when you talked to us about why you chose Eric, but how, how did that relationship go for you Sonali? And then Eric, I'll ask you kind of the the flip side of that
2: question. I called Eric a teddy bear last time I was on here and he was not happy about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, that that was my reason.
4: only reaction.
2: <laughs> like, person, not I'm not a
4: teddy
2: bear. <laughs> um, Eric is like one of the smartest people that I know. And, especially like under pressure and like in the mock trial context, I think like a lot of the work we did ahead of time was super useful. And then once we actually like got into it, I for a second was like, what's going on? Like, how is this happening right now? But Eric was like (laughs) immediately like got me in the right mind frame. He's like, I was like, we're doing Tiger King. Like, why, why are we doing Tiger King? And Eric was like, no, this is good. Like, it's a murder. Like we can play to your strengths, you know? Um, And just like always has really, smart theory things. Like I think one of the things I learned from Eric is to think about theory, not always just in terms of what you might do in a real courtroom, but like what works for mock trial, like what lets you be showy and what lets you, you know, make interesting points and sound good to the jury and those sorts of things that, you know, matter more in mock trial than um, in real law. And so, yeah, I think like he was just able to come up with like really smart things for us to do. And um, obviously help with riding a ton and by that point like I feel like we had our process really down like we're also comfortable working with each other that it went it went pretty smoothly uh,
1: so Eric you know as, as someone that has competed in trial by combat before how was the the second time doing it as a coach this time though
4: it was definitely interesting um, I think I definitely learned some things from my prep when I did trial by combat I mean I don't know if if it was just me, that wasn't doing very much prep for the first trial by combat or, or if that wasn't really established as the norm yet. But I like, I did like one scrimmage for trial by combat. Like it was kind of like half a scrimmage with Enrico. um, And this time around it felt like there was so much more prep and, and there was like multiple scrimmages going on and Sonali and Sava really wanted to do them. So I figured, you know, if they want to do it, like I'll be there to help them. And I mean, truly like, you know, there are things that Sonali does as a competitor that I like couldn't really do. Um, I think Sonali has like an innate kind of ability to connect with, with a jury. Um, the thing that I wrote in my like recommendation to Bernstein when she applied was, you know, Sonali never has a bad round, which is true. I mean, Sonali has never scored bad in a round in the two years that I've coached her. Um, and that really like that, that like unique performance ability, which I don't really know any other competitor who I've been around who has that, um, that really plays well in, in this competition because, you know, basically it comes down to, you know, like splitting hairs. Like, but you know, everyone's going to be super competent. Everyone's going to be be clean and smart. And so like when you have this kind of like unique trait that no one else has, that's how you win. And so we just wanted to make sure that like Sonali would have good content to go off of. And she you know, she was great at prepping that as well. And, you know, as Sonali talked about how she's had dealt with imposter syndrome and, and honestly, like my overriding, like for the last two years, I felt like, you know, Sonali has always underappreciated just how good she is at mock trial. Um, and the same is true here. Uh, she was fantastic.
2: Thanks,
4: Eric. (laughs) (laughs) So also for context, I like almost never give compliments as a coach. I know that was the
2: nicest thing he's ever said to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got it on tape, right? (laughs) That's
2: Even during the tournament, he was like really trying to keep me humble. Like we were after round three or something, we were, you know, one of the top-ranked like teams going into the last few rounds. And he was like, okay, but you could still lose. You have to, you still have to do well. Like you could still, (laughs) (laughs) like thanks.
0: (laughs) Well, Sonali, I think my last main question for you uh, kind of actually returns back to what Eric was just saying and what we talked about at the beginning. You referenced the Facebook post that you made And one of the things you specifically brought up, I'm looking at it right here. You you said, I'm writing this because I know that imposter syndrome is most commonly felt by women and women of color. Um, The final round of trial by combat was two women of color. It was the first time that that has happened in in this tournament. It's a short history, obviously, but in this tournament's history. Um, And I I was really struck by that. Uh, I was really struck by what that means for our community and for what it means in sort of in this specific moment in society. Uh, and I was wondering sort of how you thought about that.
2: It was cool. I mean, it, honestly, like I, it was just dope to be a part of and I was glad it was, you know, Sydney, who's just incredible. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it. you're right. It's a short history, but I knew that like the two people who had won before were white or white passing, not to make assumptions, but um, white passing men and, I, you know, the only woman who had been in the final was Rachel, obviously, two years ago. And, um, yeah, it was just cool to be a part of, I think, like, looking over my mock career, like, especially when I was younger, most of the people that I knew of who were really, really good tended to be men. And, you know, certainly not. I think the first time, you know, as uh, my junior and senior year, I think, like, I started to, like, know of more women and women of color who were, like, really exceptional performing at that top top level um, Sabrina for one but um, yeah I don't know I'm sorry I'm like struggling a little bit to put it into words I think that it meant a lot to me I was like I feel lucky to be a part of it and I know like I'm certainly not going to be the last Um, there's so many so many more like younger women who are incredible and I hope like you know, if, if seeing me and Sydney in that round, like makes them feel more confident about applying or makes it, you know, a little bit easier to, to think that they could win. I like, I hope that, you know, that happens for somebody. I
0: I agree with you. And and I just thought the the level of advocacy, I mean, this was said by the judges, um, but I thought it was really true. You know, I I had to laugh when Ian Lampert, who we've had on the show, sort of (laughs) lost his mind in comments, but (laughs) like, that's, that's how I felt, right? Like I was watching that round and I was like, I mean, obviously I was stressed out of my mind, like you guys too, but like, like at the same time, there were times where I was like, this is so like powerful and important and such awesome advocacy. And so it was just such a privilege to watch and to be a part of.
2: Yeah. Thank you. It was, yeah. No, I was going to say like, it, it was cool to be a part of and it's cool because like, not because I did it, but because like more people can do it also, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and I think my my last and maybe my most important question for you, um, has the sword made it yet?
2: Not yet. <laughs> um, Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So Justin actually had my name engraved on it, which they normally don't do because they give it right at the ceremony. Um, so he told me it's going to take a little while, but yeah, it's coming soon. <laughs> My brother has already said he's going to steal it and um, <laughs> use it for actual sword purposes instead of leaving it on the wall. So we'll see how that goes.
4: For actual sword
0: purposes.
2: Okay, like for <laughs> fighting, you know?
0: Well, there's there's no one I think that would be more happy about that than Justin Bernstein.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Sonali, Eric, Seva, it was really... Just a pleasure to have all of you guys on, Sonali and Eric. Obviously, we've had you guys on before, but it was it was really great to uh, have you both back. And Sonali, more than anything else, congratulations! You you kicked ass the entire weekend, and uh, just I was just blown away by by how impressive your performance was. I've gone back and watched some clips from you know throughout the weekend, and you had a brutal schedule. Not that there's an easy schedule at Trial by Combat, but you didn't have one, and you know I just was incredibly impressed and
1: just congratulations seriously congrats everyone and thanks again for coming on
2: thank you so much yeah i really appreciate it that Means a lot
1: thanks so much for having us